0: Uh, well, we're going to look at, uh, into God's Word together in uh, the book of Deuteronomy. Um, it's, uh, we're going to start off on, uh, in chapter 31. Uh, that's on page uh, 209 um, of your Bibles nearby. So if you want to grab one, you can follow it as we look at it later on together. Now, we're in this series uh, of uh, Bible studies uh, from around this period in the uh, Old Old Testament people of God, Israel, in their history, um, on the theme of moving forward. They were moving about to go into the promised land that God had, had said they could have, and we're thinking today about starting afresh. And, and we're doing this series mainly because, uh, as a church, we want to be moving forward with God, don't we? Uh, in our individual lives, I hope we want to be moving forward with him. There's no point being in the same place. If we're on this mission with Jesus, if we're traveling with him, then we need to be growing in our own lives, in our walk with God. There needs to be this sense of movement. You don't have to read much of the New Testament, particularly uh, some of the, the letters. And as we've seen in the book of Acts... You have to read much before you realize that actually the normal thing for churches and for our lives is for us to be growing, not necessarily in size, although that's not a bad thing, but growing in our understanding of God, growing in our obedience to Jesus, growing in our fruitfulness. Growth and and life uh, are are two uh, kind of key pictures, as indeed in the New Testament is the picture of the church being built. the Apostle Paul in, in uh, 1 Corinthians actually says to a community of believers, he says, you are God's building project. You know, God is building something through you, in you, together. That's what it's all about. And we're at a, part, a point in our particular church story where we trust, although we we'll have to be careful, new things are about to happen, uh, whether it's the building project, which you can look at the plans. There's some photos on there that show the rooms are there. Um, the, the roof is on. Um, there's some photos up there of what those rooms are looking like already. So there's a sense that we're moving into something new there, but not just there. Um, uh, And indeed, as we do that, we're we're realizing a a vision to uh, to be a blessing in this community that's at least 10 years old, I reckon, and probably very much older than that. And so that's exciting. We're kind of moving into something that God has promised and gave uh, the members of the church here and the leaders a heart for long ago. And there's some new opportunities ahead of us. There's some new staff joining us. And so we thought it was a good thing to think about moving forward. And as I say, we're in the Bible, in, in a part of the Bible, when God's people were facing a big challenge to move forward into what he had promised them. They'd come out of Egypt. You know, they'd been slaves there. Uh, they, they'd been kind of uh, held up for 300 years there. And Moses, under the leadership of Moses, God had brought them out in amazing ways and uh, into the desert to know him. And then the idea was that they would go straight into the promised land. But as we heard, uh, they blew it on the first occasion. And it was 40 years before uh, this this current generation are back now ready to go into the promised land uh, again. That generation whose parents turned back are about to be going forward. And Moses, we saw last week, has given them God's word about how to live in this new land. As the whole book of Deuteronomy is about that. It's a, a kind of a Moses final team talk to the, all the community of Israel. And we have it here in the book of Deuteronomy. As, we, as we've seen, how to live well, how to live loyal to God alone knowing God in their experience day by day, being faithful to his word. We thought about all of that last week. Well, we're joining it today as Moses ends his long team talk. He's bringing it to a close now. It's been going on for 30 chapters, only a few more left. And he's kind of coming to, if you like, the the summary of his big talk to the Israelites. And we're there in chapter 31 verses 1 to 6. And I'm not going to read all these verses, but you will see just uh, scanning them. Let's start. Moses went out and spoke these words to all Israel. I am now 120 years old. Whew, that's not bad, is it? Uh, I'm no longer able to lead you. The Lord has said to me, you shall not cross the Jordan. And then he goes on to explain that he can't go. But they need to be courageous. They mustn't be terrified. The Lord is with them. He's going with them. He's never going to leave you. There it says in verse 6, Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. So that's the message to all of the people. And then he goes on in verse 7 to tell them about Joshua, who is to be their new leader. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him, in the presence of all Israel. Be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their forefathers to give them, and so on. Verse 8, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Joshua is to be their new leader, and he too has to be strong uh, because God is with them. Now, they're going to, you know, all this talk about being strong and courageous and not being terrified. You can imagine why they're hearing that message, because there's a lot to be terrified about. They've been 40 years. They've been in the desert. It's been kind of comfortable, if a desert can be comfortable. At least, you know, they were being looked after and they were just kind of going around. Now there's big challenges ahead. Scary. God says to them, you be strong. I'm with you. There's reasons to be strong. And you know, for us, as we go into, as we follow God into new things, whatever it is in our life, maybe for some of us are thinking about actually becoming a Christian or, or moving on with God in some way. It can be scary. It can be a little bit worrying, a little bit terrifying. And God goes on to tell these people who are a little bit scared and worried in verses 9 to 13 that when they get into the land, He wants them every seven years. When they get together in a festival, they're going to be having these festivals. One of them is called the Festival of Tabernacles. That happens every year. But every seven years, on a special year, actually they had a great system. All debts were cancelled every seven years. That's a better way to run an economy than the way we run it. Imagine that. If all debts were cancelled every seven years, you started again. That's how it was supposed to be in Israel through the teaching of Deuteronomy. And... uh, you know, uh, it, it's intriguing. So uh, on that seventh year, they were to all get together when they had their festival and hear the words of Deuteronomy. The, and Moses says, you get you know, the priest, he told the priest, you're going to read the whole lot. You know, have a big party, you know, barbecues, fun days, buntings, bouncy castles, all that kind of stuff, and hear the word of the Lord all day, uh, or whatever it was, on, uh, on that, at that festival once every seven years. That's what he's talking about there. And the reason for that is so that every seven years, each generation knows God's word, knows God's truth. This isn't the main point. I'm just kind of getting there. But then verse 14, uh, God tells Moses that the time is coming when he's got to pass it on to Joshua. It's getting critical. His death is near. Let's read from verse 14. The Lord said to Moses, Now the day of your death is near. Call Joshua uh, present yourselves at the tent of meeting. That's the kind of mobile temple, the tabernacle that they had with them in the wilderness, where I will commission him, Joshua. So Moses and Joshua came and presented themselves at the tent of meeting, and then the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting in a pillar of cloud, and the cloud stood over the entrance of the tent, and the Lord said to Moses, "You are going to rest with your fathers." He's going to die. And these people will soon prostitute themselves to the foreign gods of the land they are entering. They will forsake me and break the covenant I made with them. On that day I will become angry with them and forsake them. I will hide my face from them and they will be destroyed. Many disasters and difficulties will come upon them. And on that day they will ask, have not these disasters come upon us because our God is not with us? And I will certainly hide my face on that day because of all their wickedness in turning to other gods. Now write down for yourselves this song and teach it to the Israelites and make them sing it so that it may be a witness for me against them. When I brought them into the land, flowing with milk and honey, the land I promised on oath to their forefathers, and when they eat their fill and thrive, they will turn to other gods, worship them, rejecting me and breaking my covenant. And when many disasters and difficulties come upon them, this song will testify against them because it will not be forgotten by their descendants. I know that they are dis- what they are disposed to do. Even before I bring them into the land I promised them on oath." So Moses wrote down this song that day and taught it to the Israelites. The Lord gave this command to Joshua, son of Nun, be strong and courageous, for you will bring the Israelites into the land, I promise them on oath, and I myself will be with you. And after Moses finished writing in a book the words of this law from the beginning to the end, he gave this command to the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant, that's this kind of box that they went took with them as a symbol of God's presence, Take this book of the law and place it beside the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God. There it will remain as a witness against you. I know how rebellious and stiff-necked you are. If you have been rebellious against the Lord while I'm still alive with you, says Moses, how much more will you rebel after I die? Assemble before me all the elders of your tribes and all your officials so that I can speak these words in their hearing and call heaven and earth to testify against them. For I know that after my death you are sure to become utterly corrupt and to turn away from the way I have commanded you. In days to come, disaster will fall upon you because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord and provoke him to anger by what your hands have made. And Moses recited the words of the song from the beginning to end in the hearing of Israel. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? It's not quite what you might have expected. So what does God do? Well, God says to Moses, look, get Joshua with me. I want to tell you about... I've got some important things to tell you. I want to commission, Joshua. You come stand before me in the place where we meet. I want to help you with this um, fresh start in the land of promise. And the first thing he says to them in verse 16 is, these people are going to fail again. That's not easy to hear, is it? Not an easy message at all. He says, Moses, you're going to die. And the people are ultimately going to turn away from me. Sin, the tendency we have as human beings to mess up, is going to be a feature of their lives for generations to come. And death is going to be part of the picture always. And you know, isn't, this is interesting, because isn't one of the things, I don't know about you, but one of the things that I'm often afraid of as I move forward or as I seek to go forward with God, maybe it's one of the things you're afraid of, Maybe one of the things that holds you back from actually making a commitment to the Lord Jesus and, and putting your life in his hands is this problem. What? I know what I'm like. I know that I'm likely to fail. Isn't that one of the things that makes us scaredest? Or we might think, what about events, you know? What if somebody dies, you know? What if something goes wrong? What if, what if, what if? And what God does right at the beginning. He, he, the first thing he says, this God who's in relationship with us, if we're believers. He starts at that point. He, you know, The elephant is no longer kind of hiding in the corner. It's right there. That's the big issue for us, many of us. All of us, I guess, if we're really honest about it. He starts with that. Both of these things, our tendency to mess up the events that occur in the world, they're all part of the broken world that we live in. And they will be issues in our lives that come in like that. And God starts there. It was so for the Israelites and it's so for us as well. And in this final word that Moses brings to the Israelites... He points them to three uh, great gifts that God gives to them to help them as they move forward. Starting from this point of, oh, I think we might fail again. God says, I am going to give you three things that will help you. And here they are coming up. What are they? Verse 19, a song. What's that about? Well, we'll see in a minute. A song that would get into their hearts for generations, a song like the famous beer that would would reach the parts that nothing else could reach. If you like, lager, isn't it? I suppose lager kind of beer. Yeah. that kind of thing. God says, "I'm going to give you a song." We'll, we'll think about what that might mean in a minute. Second, He says, "I'm going to give I'm going to give you a person," because He gives them Joshua as the new leader. Who will bring them into the land? That's the point. Yeah, they may fail in the future. There may be problems on the way. But they have this leader who's going to take them there. So they've got a song. They've got a leader. And finally, in verse 24, they've got a word. They've got God's word, God's law, actually in a book. It says Moses put the words of Deuteronomy in a book wrote them out, put them in a book, and put them right in by the Ark of the Covenant, by the thing that symbolized God's presence. So they've these three gifts, a song, a person, and a word. I wonder whether we've got those three gifts as we move forward into what God wants for us. Let's think about them. A song to know. Now what, what is this about a song? Why a song? Well, I think, as I say, a song gets deep into you, doesn't it? Songs can do that. Have you been listening? I've been listening to a little bit of, well, I've listened to quite a bit of Radio 4, you know, I'm in the bathroom and various other times. I picked up something somewhere about in the First World War, the songs were written on both English and German sides, you know, patriotic songs that would kind of get the message out and help people to be stirred up to, to fight. You know, songs have a way of kind of getting into you, don't they? We know that. We could think of stories. You know, whether it's Land of Hope and, jo- and Glory or whether it's like a, a personal song. Why is Desert Island Disc so popular? People, these songs matter to me. My whole life can be summed up, these people say, in these eight tracks. Uh, and it's not just there. Other radio shows pick up on the same idea. Sometimes it's memories that are associated with songs. There's this one song I can't sing with, well I can sing it, I can't sing without thinking about some people I knew well. we uh, were a family uh, of, of uh, mum and dad and three children, all under the age of about uh, ten when I knew them first. And they sang The Servant King at their commissioning service. They went to Nepal to work with InterServe. In the, they were one of the first families I was personally involved in recruiting. I worked with their churches, and, which is why I was at their commissioning service, and so on. And uh, they came, went for one term, they came back, and they sang the commissioning song as they went out again in their, their second term. And they, uh, their plane crashed. The Pakistan airline plane crashed on the way into Kathmandu. And all, all the whole family were, were wiped out in that. And we sang the song again just two weeks after the commissioning of their second at their funeral service and memorial service and their, their life kind of witnesses on. That song kind of, and, and, and the servant king captures what I knew of them and as I say, I still think of them. We're talking, you know, we're talking the late 80s. Some of you weren't even born then, but you know. Songs can be like that. Words with music can make a deep impact now Moses teaches them the song it 's here in chapter thirty two i 'm certainly not going to read it all, neither am I going to sing it you 'll be glad to know. Um, but if we just skim it through, I want us to just think about what what this song is about. We can read the first four verses. Moses starts he, by saying, look, this is the song, guys. And he says, listen, O heavens, and I will speak. Hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching fall like rain and my words descend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. This is God's word. He's speaking. He says, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. That's where we got the words of that song from, Deuteronomy 32. So the song starts with God, how great he is, that he is the rock, that he is faithful, that he is perfect, that he he is just. But then as you get to verse 5 and 6, you see, um, he picks up on what God had told him that people would do. It goes on to talk about how we've got this problem that we rebel against him. We act corruptly. We act as if we're not his children. And the, the song goes on in, in verses 7 to 14 to talk about how he works and how he intervenes. And the song tells the story of how, how God rescued Israel and how God found Israel and, and did all these wonderful things for Israel. And yet still they have this tendency to rebel against him. And then in verse 15, it says they abandoned the God who made them. Now, if that's not a, a, a summary of what it means to be a sinful human being, where this tendency to you know, just mess things up comes from in our lives, we abandon the God who's made us. That's the problem, isn't it? And the song goes on to talk about how judgment follows, how God withdraws in pain from his people, how angry he is at how they've treated them, and how in the story of Israel, uh, enemies come in and oppress them. And then uh, in verse 27, um, just as the Israelites are going to be judged because of their disobedience, so God's judgment comes on the people who oppress them. And then right at the end of the song in verse 43... God is vindicated. Look at verse 43. As he comes to the end of the song, Moses sings, Rejoice, O nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants. This is as God brings judgment on the nations who have oppressed Israel. And this is all in the Old Testament. It all happens. He will take vengeance on his enemies and make atonement for his land and his people. It ends up with the promise that God can cover sin. Atonement is the word for covering, that the God who judges sin, the God who is there to love his people, the God who is faithful and just, is also able to deal with the problem itself so that it can be covered. Atonement, that's what the song is about He is the judge, but he is the one who is compassionate. So the song basically tells a story. It tells a story of God's righteous, faithful character, doesn't it? It tells the story of how he rescued Israel. It tells the story of human failure and sin, that we abandon the God that made us. And it also tells us how God can deal with that. It's the complete story. And that's how it worked out in Israel. That was what happened. They did turn their back on God. He did judge them. Uh, nations did come in, and then, they were, then, then those nations in themselves were, uh, Israelites were exiled, and then the nations that exiled them and destroyed them were judged, and God brought them back. Uh, and a new way of knowing him came in with Jesus and so on. That is the story. That's what this song is all about. His rescue, God's judgment, God dealing with sin completely. It's how it worked out in Israel. It's how it works out in our lives as believers. What's the song? It's the gospel. It's the big story, isn't it? God's righteousness, our sin, God's love, our rebellion, God's atonement so that we can know him again the judgment we deserve now and in the future and how god forgives us that's the song we need to get into our hearts a song that starts and ends with god what he's like you know it started with god righteous it ends with god's vindication it's all about what god does and it's a song that's sung right the way through the bible in different keys as it were the song of God's good news, all that he's done, to deal with our tendency to muck things up as we rebel against him. So what's the way to really start afresh? What's the answer to this? Oh no, we might fail again. Surely it's to really sing the gospel, to really get the gospel into us, into our depths. Maybe, yes, yeah, sing it literally. I don't know. Sometimes music can do that but to get it into us that God is faithful, that we are sinners, that he does judge righteously, but he has atoned for our sin so that it's covered. And each day we need to know that, don't we? We need the gospel. We fail. We've, when we fail, we need the gospel of this good story of God's love and God's grace. We're frightened we'll fail again. We need the gospel to sing in our hearts. We try and do everything for ourselves and and muck things up. What do we need? The gospel to know that God's done it all for us, and that His grace is available as a gift. We find worth in our reputation or our status or how good we are as Christian believers, and we know that's useless because it messes us up completely. Why? Because we need the gospel, which says that we have no worth. No, we all our worth is in Jesus. God's done everything for us. We don't have to buy his love. We receive his grace and we live gladly in all that he's given us. It's the gospel that we need to sing in our hearts, even in the darkness, to sing. We think we're worthless. We need the gospel. So don't just hear the song. Don't just recognize it. Don't just analyze it, sing it. Do you know what I mean? In here, get it in us. We need to sing it for salvation, if you like. When we turn to Christ and start afresh with him, that that song becomes our song because the Holy Spirit sings it in us as we turn to him. We need to sing it for our growth, for our wholeness, and we need to keep singing it. So that's the song the gospel. How do we move forward? How do we start afresh with that song? Secondly, these are going to be much quicker. What else do we need? There's a leader. And look at verse 44, because it's all reiterated at the end of, of this song. Verse 44, Moses came with Joshua, son of Nun, and spoke all the words of this song in the hearing of the people. As, as Moses speaks the song, I don't know whether they'd written the tune at that point or, or not, but anyway, as he says it, Joshua is right there with him. Who's Joshua? He's the leader that, he, that God had promised. He's the leader that God had said would not fail, that would do what God said he would do. Because he was the one who was going to, to fulfill God's word of promise. The one who would say, do we have a leader who will get us there? I'm not thinking about the elders, but we, have, we do. It's Jesus. He's our leader. He is our Joshua. Joshua and Jesus actually happen to be the same name. Joshua is Jesus' name. It was called Jesus by the time Jesus was in, uh, around or in the language that, that we, we, we use in, in our version. How will we start afresh? How will we not be overcome by failure? How is the gospel song we sing going to be more than just something that um, we hear and don't take on board? It's because Jesus has done everything. We are failures. Jesus isn't. Got that? He is still Lord of the church. He is actively involved in our lives. We are not on our own. He has died for us. That's how we have this atonement. That's why, how sin has been covered, because Jesus has died. Jesus has been raised. Jesus is the ascended king. We can't get there, but he can. And we hold on to him, and we go with him. So there's the leader we need. The song we need to sing, the leader we need to follow, the leader we need to cling to. And finally, here's the word that's life to us. Verse 46 and 47. Take to heart, he said to them, take to heart all the words I've solemnly declared to you this day so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They are not just idle words for you, they are your life. By them you will live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. The word God gives Take to heart all these words. They are your life, says God. Now Jesus once said, it's in John chapter 6, verse 63, if you are interested. Jesus once said, the words, my words, are spirit and they are life. Jesus' words are life. God's word are life. Get hold of God's word. Get God's truth in our hearts. We need to hold on to it as we hold on to him. We need to believe this truth against all the lies that are kind of around us about so many things. And Moses has just one last opportunity now to bless these people. To actually bring words of life to them through God's word. And chapter 33 is that last opportunity. If you don't read it now, but from verse 48 to 52 God tells Moses, it's time for you to go up to the top of Mount Nebo in Moab. Anyone been to Mount Nebo in Moab? It's quite a famous tourist site. If you've ever been to Jordan, which is a great country to visit, I recommend it. Um, on the top of Mount Nebo, you can go there uh, and you can look out at the plains of Moab and see what Moses saw. And you can it's just about on a clear day, you can see the Jordan, and you can see the Sea of Galilee, you can see the, or rather you can see the Dead Sea, um, and, and if it's clearer, you might be able to see the other way. And on it, there's a, 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 a pole with a, shaped uh, like a cross, remarkably, in a Muslim country, talking about how Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. And, and God says, you go up to that mountain, Moses, because uh, I'm going to take you now. But before he goes, Moses blesses, brings God's life-giving words to this group of people one last time. And I'm not going to read it all, but I do want to reference the beginning and the end. The words he gives are a specific word for each of the tribes of Israel. But he begins by, in verse thirty, chapter 33, verse 1, talking about, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned over them from Seir. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came with myriads of holy ones from the south from his mountain slopes. Surely it is you who love the people. All the holy ones are in your hand. At your feet they all bow, and from you receive instruction. The law that Moses gave us, the possession of the assembly of Jacob, he was king over Jeshurun, that's the Lord, when the leaders of the people assembled, along with the tribes of Israel. What does Moses begin by telling them? That the Lord comes. He's coming. He comes to you. He's not distant. He comes to you coming into our situations, coming in Jesus in the world, coming into our lives by the Holy Spirit. The Lord that this word speaks of is a Lord who comes into our situations, into our world. Verse 3, he's the Lord who loves. It is you who love the people. The Lord loves Verses 3 to 4, he's the one who teaches you. The Lord teaches you. And then he, go, he says all these specific words. And right at the end of his uh, blessing, verse 26, he once again says, there's no one like the God of Jeshurun. Jeshurun is a kind of name for Israel. It's a, an unusual name, but it's the name for Israel. Talking about he, who rides on the heavens to help you and on the clouds in his majesty. The eternal God is your refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. The Lord, the majestic God, helps you. The eternal God is your refuge, says Moses. It's a word of life. That's what God's like. You can know a kind of cosmic security in God. Whatever else may happen. And he's not saying bad things won't happen. They will. But it is saying that underneath all of those things are what he describes as everlasting arms. Below, behind, everything else, God does not abandon us. Words of life that come. Little example, I suppose, that Moses leaves with them of what these words of life are about and how they might operate in our lives. He saves you, it says. He can deal with what matters most. So can we start afresh? Knowing how flawed we are. Knowing we can fail and probably will in some things. We can because of the gospel. God's character committed to action. Righteously dealing with our sin and rescuing us and we sing that song we get it into the depth of our beings healing us reshaping us restoring us it takes time it, when we have ups and downs in it but that song that song of the gospel of god's grace is so helpful for us to get hold of and we follow our champion our leader our lord jesus our savior and as we follow him we get life from the words he's given not just words but sources of life that life that comes to us from God who comes to us and God who saves us. Have you ever really sung that song? Well, you can start singing it now. Do you need to start afresh? Well, we all do. Every day should be a fresh start, doesn't it? Well, why not talk to him about that as we spend some time in worship and praise? And then if you want to pray with somebody afterwards, there'll be people down here to pray.